0: Bible, bibles through the book of galatians chapter 5 tonight if you would we're continuing our series entitled only jesus uh, as we've been walking through the book of galatians verse by verse um, we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of the fruit of the spirit uh, we're probably going to I my goal is my plan is and again um, my plans sometimes fall apart so uh, the plan is to complete Galatians by the end of the year uh, be done by the uh, end of December but how many of you know that's not too far away Uh, we've got about five six more weeks left in this year and we are done uh, with 2019 on to 2020 so the goal is to be done with this uh, by the end of the year we'll see how well that works out Uh, but we've been taking some time intentionally in Galatians chapter 5 As we take a look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's important that we understand what it looks like so that we can identify this fruit in our own life and identify that fruit in the lives of other people as well. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're at tonight. We're going to start in verse number 16 and read through verse 23 just for the sake of context. Uh, We're really going to be focusing on two aspects of the fruit of the Spirit tonight in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, starting in verse number 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 16 is critical, it really is, because if you want to see the fruit of the Spirit in your own life, you have to put your flesh to death. These two cannot coexist. Your own sinful nature, your own sinful desire cannot produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is really what you want. It's really what you crave in life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And these it cannot coexist. With your flesh. So walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. So these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, longsuffering, suffering gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now verses 19 through 21 tell us what the works of our flesh look like. When you and I are walking according to the things that we want in life, here's what comes out. And Paul gives a very, very, very incredibly stern warning at the end of verse number 21. And he says, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's important that we clarify before we go any further. He's not saying, stay away from this type of sin and you'll go to heaven. He's saying, if your sin is not forgiven, if your sin is not taken care of, you will not see the kingdom of God. The Bible says we're born into sin by default. The things that you see in verses 19 through 21 automatically come out of us. Uh, we don't have to teach our children to lie. They automatically do it because of their sin nature. Uh, we don't, never had to take a class on how to lust. Uh, our sin nature just automatically does that by default. Uh, we never had to take uh, training to become prideful or selfish. Those things are automatically, inherently born into our DNA as human beings. But because we've sinned against God, there's a price that must be paid for our sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Because I've sinned against God and because you've sinned against God, there is a penalty that must be paid for our sin. And the Bible says that's death. The only way that you and I can pay for our sin is to die physically one time. The Bible says after this comes the judgment. And then we stand before God to be sentenced to a spiritual death, that will take place for all of eternity where we're separated from God forever in a place called hell. Hell is a real place that burns with real fire and it lasts for eternity. There's no second chances. There's no getting out. Once God's pronouncement of, of judgment is final, there's nothing you can do to come back from that. And the Bible says that's the default destination for every human being born into this world because we're born with a sin nature that's at odds with God and our sin must be paid for. Now, I don't like the prospect of anybody going to hell because God doesn't like the prospect of anyone going to hell. Uh, the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everyone to be forgiven of their sins and go to heaven, but there's only one way you can be forgiven. It's not to do better. It's not to try, not, try to avoid the sins that are listed in 19 through 21. It's to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. You see, you can pay for your sin or Jesus can pay for you. And you must put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to have him pay for your sin. It's not just like, yeah, I'll take whatever he's giving and then continue on my own way. It's not to say, it's to say before God, I'm wrong. I've been wrong. I've sinned against God and I recognize my sinful condition and I'm asking for forgiveness. The forgiveness of God is the only hope that you or I have for heaven. But when God saves us and when we are forgiven by him, we become children of God, we're adopted into God's family, The Bible says that we're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. And now we see those things that characterize our life before Jesus in verses 19 through 21. We're no longer those people anymore. You might've been an adulterer before, you're no longer that. You might've been an idolater before, you're no longer that. You might've been a, a drunkard before that. You're no longer that, you're forgiven, you're a child of God. But those who continue in their sin... The Bible says they will never see the kingdom of God. So it's important to understand that, that heaven comes through the payment of Jesus Christ for our sins, not from moral behavior. Sometimes people look at that list in nineteen through twenty-one and says, "Okay, if I just stay away from that, I'll go to heaven." No, these are characteristics of people who do not know who God is. But once you become a child of God, inside of you comes the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, God is exists in three distinct persons: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is in heaven as king. He rules everything. The Bible says he does everything according to his good pleasure. Everything that happens today from the sun shining to you and I walking down the sidewalk happened today because God chose it to be so. God is in heaven uh, and he basically runs the show for all of the universe. Next to him is God the Son, the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is also seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven waiting to come back to this earth to rule and reign as God's earthly king one day. The Bible says he'll rule for 1,000 years and death will be defeated when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. The third person of the Godhead or the Trinity that we sometimes refer to it as is God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit isn't distant somewhere He's not up in heaven maybe coming back for us one day. He's not up in heaven calling the shots. He is inside of every single believer. If you're a child of God here tonight, inside of you, you have the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit's job is to teach you the things of the Bible. It's to convict you and and to prick your conscience whenever you step out of line or out of boundaries. God says, hey, stop, hey, come back. The Holy Spirit is what draws us back to God when we've been away from him for some time. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to us. And when we are not living for our flesh, but we're growing in the spirit, the Bible says there's some beautiful things that will come out as a result of it. That's verses 22 and 23 in our passage here tonight. When the Holy Spirit's at work in me, you know what's gonna come out? Love. When the Holy Spirit's working inside of me, you know what else comes out? Joy. When the Holy Spirit's working inside of me, you know what comes out? Peace. When The Holy Spirit's at work. What else comes out? Long-suffering. Next we see gentleness. Next we see goodness. Those are the two that we're taking a look at tonight. When the Holy Spirit is working inside of me, these things will come out as a fruit of the Spirit. Verses 19 through 21 talks about the works, plural, of the flesh. The works, the multiple sins that you and I could be involved in are these. But verses 22 and 23, it says the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular, it's not plural. These are not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, meaning it's a package deal. When the Holy Spirit's working inside of me, all of these things will come out. All these things will work together to bring about the fruit of the Spirit. So it's impossible for me to say I'm a very loving person. I just have no joy. Or it's easy for me to have joy. It's just tough for me to get along with people and have peace. Oh, well, I'm really good at that peace part, but the, the long suffering and patience thing, that really gets me. It's a package deal. And again, this is not how good you are. This is not an area where you find it really easy to excel. This is the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. This is God doing something that is supernatural inside you. This is not how good I am. This is not how good I can be. This is God at work through me. When you and I love people who are unlovable, that is the Holy Spirit at work inside of us. When you and I can have joy despite very, very dark days that we have in our life, that's the Holy Spirit at work through us. When you and I can have peace with God and peace with our circumstances and peace with our fellow men, that's not you and I and what we can work up on our own, that's the Holy Spirit at work inside of us. So far, we've taken a look at love Love is not an emotion. Love is an active lifestyle that we live to put other people before us. Love is not a feeling that I have towards someone. Love is a choice that I make to put another person in front of me. Therefore, the opposite of love is not hate because that would be an emotion. The opposite of love is selfishness. Joy is a feeling of happiness, not because all the circumstances are working my way, but, but joy is happiness based on spiritual realities. I believe that God's in control, I believe that God is in charge, I believe that my sins are forgiven, therefore I can have joy. I believe that God is working everything out for my good and for his glory, therefore I can have joy. Joy has little to do with my present circumstances. Joy has nothing to do with my material circumstances. Joy has everything to do with my spiritual realities. Unfortunately, many people mix up happiness with joy and they go searching for happiness thinking that they'll find joy. I can't tell you how many people I've uh, seen in, in my time as a pastor. Well, we're moving to Texas. What's in Texas? I can buy uh, 10 acres of land and a house for $400,000. Okay, what else is in Texas? Well, I can buy cows if I want to. Okay, well, I, th- that's what we want. No. What you want is you want joy that lasts. If you ever lived around a cattle farm, it doesn't offer a very pleasant smell. I had a friend in high school that was, uh, her dad was a pig farmer. And man, you went within five miles of their house and it was wretched, wretched smell. The worst part is they didn't smell anything at all. They got used to it. Uh, But um, you think, hey, if I get this, then I'll be happy. Happiness is fleeting. Joy lasts forever because joy isn't based on my circumstances. It's based on who God is. Next, we took a look at peace, and peace comes from knowing everything's right between me and God. Knows uh, Peace I can have knowing that when I die here on this earth, I spend eternity with God in heaven. I'm not worried about what happens next. I'm not worried about uh, God's punishment because I know that Jesus has already taken my punishment. I know that God is my father. I know that he's looking out for me. I can have peace with my fellow man the best that I can because I, I know that it's not about me. It's all about God's glory. I can have peace with my circumstances because I know whatever happens, God's in charge of it. For the Spirit that we took, out, took a look at last week was the word long-suffering. Depending on the Bible translation that you use, it might use the word patience. But we took a look at last week how long-suffering means to suffer long. Be willing to endure mistreatment for a long period of time believing that God is working something out on my behalf. That goes a little bit deeper than just being a little bit patient or willing to wait a little while before things work out in my favor. It brings us tonight to two aspects of the fruit of the Spirit gentleness and goodness. We'll take a look at those tonight. We look at the word gentleness. Uh, some Bible translations use the word kindness, uh, it could be used um, interchangeably there. This is the quality of being warm hearted, considerate, humane, gentle, and sympathetic. That's rain. It's okay quality being warm-hearted considerate humane gentle and sympathetic acting charitably or benevolently towards others as God did towards us again depending on your Bible translation it might use the word um, kindness here it might use the word goodness even Uh, goodness is a different word that we'll take a look at in just a moment we'll take a look at the difference between gentleness and goodness gentleness is unique in the fact that it takes the initiative in responding to the needs of others It sees someone that has a need and I want to reach out to that and meet that need. I see someone who has something that I can do for them and I want to reach out and serve them in some way. And if you notice the aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, all of these work together. Because I choose to love other people more than I love myself, I can be gentle towards them. Because... I put other people before me and I put God before everything else, I can have joy. and My joy allows me to serve other people in gentleness. Because I can be long-suffering, I can serve people who don't deserve it or serve people who have done things against me or possibly to hurt me. I can choose to serve them anyhow because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. Gentleness speaks to our disposition and our approachability. It was hard for me for a long time to realize that for whatever reason, sometimes people are scared of me. And my wife says, you just have like this appearance that seems kind of uh, off-putting. I didn't think that was a very kind way to say that, but um, she said, people are just scared of me. She said, and my wife speaks to me frankly, and I appreciate her speaking to me frankly. She said, you have like these really deep-set eyes. They're almost like slits that are kind of like beady little eyes that look really harsh. She goes, you know, you don't have, like, the big, like, puppy dog inviting eyes. She said, you automatically have kind of a furrowed brow to you, like your resting face is kind of this furrowed look that you have. And she said, and you're, you're kind of a bigger guy. That's her way of saying and I'm slightly overweight. And, um, and so she said, just all that together. And she goes, and then you grew the beard, and it's just like, wow, this guy looks not like the type of person you want to be friends with okay thanks for that um but what she's saying is by default my disposition isn't very in- inviting so for me i've tried to kind of go over the top and be friendly uh and but i want to be known as gentle and you look at that and you go uh, for guys like the top 10 words that we want to describe ourselves is generally not gentle like oh anthony he's such a gentle guy that doesn't sound like much of a compliment does it Especially in our society today, where men want to be men, I want to be rough, and I want to have like calluses on my hands. I want to change the own, my own oil on my, my car and stuff like that. Being a gentleman might not be uh, considered a um, a compliment for, per se, but it speaks to our disposition, our approachability. See, gentleness cannot coexist with an irritable, selfish demeanor. And again, this is where all of these aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit tie together. Because if I am selfless and loving, this allows me to be gentle. When I can talk to someone that I don't know and to love them and serve them, then that makes me approachable and allows me to exhibit the aspect of gentleness and kindness. But as long as I am irritated by everyone or I'm selfish or it's all about me, I cannot exhibit the aspect of this fruit of the holy spirit of gentleness unless we think that gentleness would be a negative term especially towards guys it is possible that gentleness can coexist with manliness i spent a lot of time with the men of our church helping them to be quality christian men uh, because i believe the bible says that uh, as men lead our homes that will determine the direction of our homes it grieves me to see uh, our society today where men are willing to take a back seat in the home back seat in the leadership of the church unless someone say oh this is chauvinistic or this is this is sexist in some way it's just the biblical order of things the bible says that just as god is the head of christ that the man is the, the head of the woman uh, It tells us that in, in the book of first corinthians so for you and i uh, in the book of ephesians chapter 5 as well for you and I as men we need to be approachable we need to be loving we need to be gentle but it's also at the same time we can be manly about it here's the thing when talking with my wife when talking with my children with talking with people from our church it's important that I exhibit this fruit of manliness but please if I catch you breaking into my car I'm not gonna be gentle with you I promise you that you threaten My wife or my kids, I promise you, I will not be gentle with you. Again, this is is a choice that we make to love and serve other people and to walk according to the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So it's perfectly possible for a man to exhibit gentleness in his life, and it's a good thing. The opposite of gentleness is harshness. I want to have kind words for people. I want to have a soft-spoken demeanor I don't want people to be fearful of me. I don't want to be unapproachable. Because at the end of the day, it's not about what people think about me. It's about what people think about our God. And I'm trying to get as many people as I can to Jesus. And I don't have to be harsh or ugly or mean in a way to do that. And so this speaks to our personality. This speaks to our demeanor. It speaks to the words that we use and the way that we use them. It speaks to our tone of voice that we use. And again, when we take a look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit, whether it's Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. The person who personifies these perfectly is Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us how this lives out in our own life. He shows us how it works out for you and I. And Jesus was the type of person that could sit down with his apostles and kids would run and sit in his lap to talk to him. But he was also the guy that if you've seen him coming through the doors of the temple, he started flipping over tables, you know it was time to grab your stuff and go. So Christ perfectly personified righteous anger and righteous indignation against evil, against sin, against uh, people that would, would cause physical harm. Yet at the same time, Christ showed us what gentleness looks like. And, and we should desire to personify that in our own lives. Secondly, we see in this passage the aspect of goodness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Goodness is actively doing good. This is the quality of moral excellence, especially quality is not stagnant, but actively working itself out. Goodness is always doing the good thing. It sounds overly simplistic to say, goodness is just being good but it's moral excellence. It's given a choice, I'm gonna choose to do the right thing. But this is not just a feeling, again, or an emotion that we have. This is us literally working this out in our own life. This is actively looking for ways to do good. This word here, goodness, is only used four times uh, in the New Testament. We see all four times that it's used in the New Testament were written by Paul himself. This type of goodness that it speaks of here is actively reaching out to other people and doing good even if they don't deserve it. Now, doing good to someone that doesn't deserve it, the word that we generally use for that word is grace. Grace is God's undeserved, unmerited favor. This is us doing good things for people that do not deserve it. That's grace. And that falls in line really with what this word goodness here means. Jesus says, if you love those that love you, what good is that? Even the unsaved people do that, but I want you to love those who hate your guts. I want you to pray for those that use you. And the one that stabs you in the back, I want you to do good to them. So goodness is a choice that I make to reach out to other people to do good in their life, even if they don't deserve it. Goodness also doesn't react to evil, but it absorbs the offense and responds with positive action." And again, if you're thinking back to last week, we took a look at long-suffering and how long-suffering does away with the idea of personal vengeance. So too does this aspect of goodness and the fact that I'm not looking to get even with anyone. I'm not looking to set the score straight. I'm looking to say, hey, that's fine. I choose to do good anyhow. Goodness thinks the best of other people. Hey, he's probably just having a really bad day. Hey, I sure hope that isn't true, what I heard about so-and-so hey, I know that person was short with me, but I'm sure that they've got a lot on their mind this week. I choose to do good anyhow. Somebody said something about me that wasn't true. Maybe they just misunderstood. I'm gonna give them the benefit of that. And I choose to do good anyhow. So goodness is not about responding to an offense. It's about absorbing that offense and saying, hey, I'm not gonna be offended by this, but I choose to love. I choose to serve. And again, all of these things work together. How do you maintain a spirit of joy when you've been done wrong? You live good. You allow goodness to come out. I'm not gonna try to get even with that person. I choose to have joy anyways and I choose to forgive anyhow. That preserves my joy. So again, we see that all of these aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit work together in conjunction with one another. It's important also, though, that goodness should function in concert with discernment. I need to know when to do good. I know when to just allow things to run their course. I need to know where my goodness would be of most use. I need to steward it well. Romans chapter 15, verse number 14, Paul says, I myself am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you're also full of goodness, he says, filled with all knowledge, able to also admonish one another. Keep it you here in uh, Galatians, but turn back to Romans 15 if you would. I want you to see this. (coughs) Romans chapter 15, verse number 14. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 15, verse number 13, we see two aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit here. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Those are two aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself am also persuaded of you, brethren, that you also are full of goodness. That word goodness, this is one of the four times that it's found in the, in the Bible. That you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge Here's the critical part when it talks about discernment, able also to admonish one another. The word admonish means to rebuke or to challenge someone who is wrong. For example, if I see a brother that's caught in sin, I can be good to him, I can love him, I can serve him, but I also need to tell him, hey brother, what you're doing is not good. If I see someone struggling with bitterness, I can minister to them and do good to them and help them, but I also need to say, hey, be careful with that bitterness. It'll ruin you. Be careful with your anger. I had a friend a few weeks ago who posted something online that wasn't helpful. And I said to him, I see where you're going with that, but I just don't think it was helpful. If I were you, I would either clarify what you said or I'd just take it down altogether. Probably best to just take it down. And it was just an encouragement to do the right thing so we need to make sure that if we, if we have a brother or sister, the Bible commands us, that is caught in sin, we need to confront them lovingly. We don't need to just gloss over their sin and make it seem like it's okay, but our goodness should be used together in concert with discernment and when necessary, admonishment or challenge to do the right thing. So this is, uh, again, we need discernment. Discernment comes from the Holy Spirit at work in our lives as well. Goodness is our faith in action. Again, gentleness speaks more towards our disposition, our demeanor, our approachability, our personality, the tone of voice that we use. Goodness seeks to go out and do good for other people. This is going and finding a way to bring positive change in the community that I live in. It's looking for a positive impact that I can have in our church family. That's what goodness seeks to do. And this is, because Jesus has done so much good for me, I choose to do good for others. James chapter two talks about this being our faith in action. It says, yea, a man say thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I'll show thee my faith by my works. Hey, I wanna show how much I love Jesus by the way that I live my life. I wanna do good. This is helping out a neighbor who's in need. This is helping somebody change a tire on the side of the road. Uh, This is paying for somebody's Starbucks while you're waiting in line. This is actively looking for a way to do good. And unfortunately, we live in a society today where people want to do good for what it can do for them. (laughs) I had somebody who was on social media following several years ago, and I had to just stop because every good thing that they ever did always got posted on Instagram. Oh, here's me with the homeless guy that I bought lunch for today this guy right here's somebody I led to Christ today points to the person I led to Christ hey here's somebody that I helped change the oil in their car today and it's just always about them and what they did for somebody else it's like look you're doing good for fake internet points you know you're not even doing good to, to be a good dude goodness is about me saying I want to do good because God has been so good to me I choose to do this for you because I have received goodness at the hand of the Lord hey If I buy somebody a meal, it's not me buying a meal for them, it's the Lord gave this to you. And it's choosing to do good that's motivated by our faith. Christians should be the kindest, gentlest, loving, most joy-filled, most long-suffering people on the planet because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that wants to do that work through us. You might look at that and go, yeah, that's just not me. I'm not that like, put myself out there kind of guy. I'm not that girl that's all like loving and serving people. That's just not me. Hey, guess what? Nobody asked you what you were. I wanna see what the Holy Spirit does through you. Of course, none of this is you. You can't do this on your own. You can't be long suffering. You can't be gentle. You can't be good because you wanna make things right. You wanna settle the score. You wanna even the playing field. That's not your place to do, but when the Holy Spirit works inside of me, oh, I just wanna be loving. I just want to have joy. I just want to live peaceably with with God and man. I want to be long-suffering. I want to be gentle. I want to be good because this points people to my Savior. This makes Jesus look good. I'm not trying to do what I can do to, to make me look good. I want to make Jesus look good. The opposite of goodness is not badness. That would be too easy. It's passive indifference. If goodness is actively seeking to make a positive difference, the opposite of this is simple passive indifference. Somebody will get around to it. Somebody will do it eventually. Somebody will help that guy out. Somebody will meet that need. (coughs) One of my pet peeves, pet peeve, is water around the sink and the bathroom oh man it gets all over me and if I'm, if I'm at anywhere if I'm at the at Aloha Stadium and there's water around the sink I'll get some paper towels and wipe it out just because it drives me bananas but it's things like that that we look at and we go somebody will get to that there's no toilet paper in the bathroom somebody will get to that no paper towels somebody will get to that man that front door is broken somebody will get around to fixing that Oh, that thing over there is messed up. Somebody will get to that eventually. Goodness says, I see something and I'm going to fix it. I want to actively do something good. I can't tell you in a given 12-month period how much graffiti we paint in the three square blocks around this church building. Why? Because everybody's just assumes somebody's going to get to it. Uh, we, we pulled weeds this past week on the sidewalk on Y Monastery. Some of them are probably up to your knees. Your the idea is, that's not ours. Somebody will get to it eventually. But goodness says I see something and I want to do something about it. Did we do it to make ourselves look good? No. Did we post on Instagram that we pulled weeds and pen and graffiti this week? No. But anybody that saw that, I hope they saw the goodness of God through our actions. That's the whole idea behind goodness at work. And as the fruit of the Holy Spirit works through you and I, it'll change us. We won't be people of passive indifference. We won't be people with harsh, cutting, angry words. We won't be people who are inconvenienced by the problems that other people have. We won't be people that are always looking to stir up strife amongst the people that we're with. We won't won't be the people who are always down and discouraged about everything. And we won't be the selfish, self-centered people. You know what we'll be? We'll be loving, we'll be joy-filled, we'll be peaceable, we'll be long-suffering, we'll be gentle, and we'll be good because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do through us. The things that I described tonight, you cannot do on your own. Don't try. You'll fail miserably. But as you choose to walk in the Spirit, verses 19 through 21, those sins, they won't have any appeal for you any longer because you put your flesh to death and the Holy Spirit will begin to be at work in you. And as the Spirit gets more control in your life and mine, we'll be more loving, we'll be more joy we'll be more peaceable, we'll be more long-suffering, we'll be more gentle, we'll be more good as the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. But we have to choose to allow God to do that work. The most important thing in the world is if you're here tonight and you do not know for sure that you are saved, you do not have the Holy Spirit inside of you and you couldn't produce these things if you wanted to with any lasting effect. But you need to be saved, you need to make Jesus Christ your Savior tonight. If you're here today and you need do not know for sure that you are saved. You do not know for sure that heaven is your home when you die. Please don't hit the double doors in the back until you're 100% certain that your sin is forgiven and Jesus is your Savior. Then the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and begins to produce this fruit, which you and I greatly, greatly desire. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.